0: Again, but um, I'm going to have to ask your indulgence tonight. You know, I've been trying to encourage folks to be using this little publication, Look on the Fields, that draws your attention to a different missionary every day. And I'm actually going to draw your attention to tomorrow's missionary. This missionary couple in the Philippines are called Jonathan and Jingle Bradford, and they're on for Friday the 19th. That's tomorrow. The reason I'm drawing your attention to their particular prayer request. It was written by Jonathan, was that a week ago, that young man was called home to be with the Lord. He was die- He was taken into a hospital with an advanced pneumonia, and the doctors in the Philippines weren't able to do anything. So if you're reading about this young couple tomorrow, uh, I don't know if they have any children at all. I'm not actually personally acquainted with them. I've just prayed for them over the time. If you're using this tomorrow and you read through that report bear in mind that their circumstances have changed quite dramatically and she is now without a husband, maybe the children you know, without a dad and the works without that brother. So if you're going to pray for them tomorrow, just remember that that circumstance has changed and pray for that dear woman who's lost her husband. It's a real great grief, isn't it? Really, It was very, very certain and it was, um, his, his funeral's actually tomorrow in the Philippines so I just thought you wouldn't mind me drawing that to your attention tonight and it's just been a help to me to use this little publication just to, to keep in touch with um, missionaries all over the place. And if you don't use it, I would encourage you to use it if you can. And I'm going to weary it even more because I'm going to try and continue on my little subject of the Christian as a soldier. The picture in the New Testament that the Christian's life is the life of a, of a soldier, which actually seems a very strange thing to think about as a Christian. Isn't that right? Because um, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5, when he was given what they call the beatitude, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Isn't that right? And then um, the Lord Jesus, Isaiah 9, talks about, and we read it at at Christmas time, that he'd be called the the son is given, the government will be in his shoulders, wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And when the angels came at his birth, they says, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. And if you're reading the book of Hebrews at all, you'll get to chapter 12, a very practical section. And it says this, it says this, follow peace with all men. And the whole concept of a soldier is conflict, isn't it really? And there are, sort of strange paradoxes in the Christian life, isn't there? Things that seem incompatible but are actually mingled together uh, uh, in the Christian life. Think about the increasing awareness and acute tenderness to sin, for example. Right, okay? And yet the wonderful magnificence of our appreciation of the grace of God. And it seems the more acutely aware you become of your sin, the more magnified the grace of God becomes, isn't it? And one of the great dealings of our Christian life is our sin has been dealt with. But our awareness of our sin seems to increase our knowledge of the goodness and the grace of God. Even I always find that the Lord's Day morning as we meet to remember the Lord is a strange paradox isn't it? Because we are sorrowful to think that our sin took the Lord Jesus to the cross, and the Lord Jesus died for our sins. And we think about Peter saying he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And when you think that the innocent Son of God, the spotless Son of God, took my place, died because of my sin, there's a great grief and a sorrow, isn't there? That he was had to suffer that for me. And yet we sometimes sing with joy and yet with sorrow with us, remember me. Because as we think about that and we think of his death and resurrection and the conquer over the death, that our heart that was once filled with sorrow is then at the same time filled with joy. Christian funerals, for example, are strange paradoxes, aren't they? You go to a Christian funeral and you're acutely aware of the the, 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 the sting of st- It's death, aren't you? Death is no friend. It's an enemy. It separates and it grieves and it causes sorrow. And yet we sorrow and not as others who have no hope. And often some people come to a Christian funeral and think, wow, that was a great funeral. Not because we were not sorrowing, but because there was a a hope at the end. And so this whole idea of the Christian as one who's in conflict the whole time is really quite a, quite a, a strange thing. Just just look at this this verse from John 18 and verse number 36. The Lord Jesus is standing before Pilate and the Jews had this great notion (laughs) that when the Messiah came, he would come as a conquering hero, the general that would put away all the oppression and all the, the, the occupation and he would set up as king of kings and he would come in judgment and he would, he, he would, he would set up a throne in Jerusalem and there would be a, the, a great nation. And, and, and so Pilate's hearing all this stuff and he says, to the, he says to the Lord Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what the Jews are wanting. They're wanting a magnificent king in power and glory with force and, and domination. And the Lord Jesus says this My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I may be delivered over to, the, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world, and so the Lord Jesus makes it very clear that a Christian is not to be a fighter in this world it 's not that we, we have a, a kingdom that we want to build, and it 's not that we have physical enemies that we need to be in conflict with all the time. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and so when we think about the Christian in conflict. The Christian is a soldier. We're thinking about conflict not in physical ways, but in spiritual ways. And we're going to read that as we go on. Um, We belong to an entirely different place, folks. We are citizens, the Bible says, of heaven. And we should be living for heaven and for eternity. We don't fight for land and we don't fight for resources and we don't fight for rights the lord jesus said to invest in where in heaven and in eternity and we're living in an entirely different world because paul says in first timothy six we brought nothing into the world and we certainly will take nothing out of the world So we're not fighting to build kingdoms. Not fighting to build domination. We're not fighting to be the world rulers. We're in a spiritual conflict for a heavenly kingdom. And everything we're investing in, our time and our energy, should be in eternal heavenly things. Isn't it? Lay not up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also so I'm just trying to say a Christian soldier is not somebody that's going to take up like the crusades remember the crusades when they went to, with a sword and a spear and that's not at all what a Christian soldier is all about our conflict folks is spiritual and a lot of folks who we are fighting on behalf of don't even know we're fighting on behalf of let me give you a illustration That's North Korea. And if you're looking on the BBC website today, you'll see that a, a video has appeared from 2022 of two young teenagers being tried in a court in North Korea. And these two young boys are accused of watching a television programme that was broadcast in from South Korea, and they were sentenced, I think, to 25 years in some repressive labour camp up there. And it is true... even from a natural and human point of view, North Korea is one of the most terribly repressive and dictatorial places on earth. It's well recognized that. And the success, if you want to call it success, of the North Korean government is they try to tell their people and protect their people from the outside influences. They try and dominate them to say that this is what life should be like. And they, they try and exclude everything else from the outside and they hold them captive within the boundaries and don't let them know what's happening outside so that they don't know anything better. And so they, they hold them captive in that sense, not just physically, but psychologically by Capturing their mind and their heart. And so they don't understand that outside there's freedom and outside there's liberty. And so lots of people from South Korea and other places spend their time trying to help the people in South Korea understand that there's liberty. There's liberty. And often North Koreans would escape to China and then eventually to the West and they would make it their business to try and get back to fight for the freedom of the people in North Korea. If that was true in a human point of view, it's even more true from a Christian point of view in North Korea. Um, I was looking at a few videos over lunchtime today about testimonies of Christians that have come out of North Korea. And of the top 10 nations in the world where it's most difficult to be a Christian, North Korea is right at the top possession of a bible folks just the physical possession of a bible has a minimum sentence of 15 years hard labor so just sitting somewhere with a bible on your knee like you're sitting tonight i mean i know our country's got problems i'm not saying we're perfect But, you know, just the very fact that we're able to possess a Bible. There are people in North Korea, if just holding a Bible in their hand would mean they were 15 years in prison. To speak publicly the name of Jesus, even to your friends and your neighbours, is an immediate life sentence. Not just for you, but for every generation of your family. So if you're the parents and you're caught speaking the name of Jesus, your grandparents will be punished and your children will be punished. To meet with others in a Christian capacity is an immediate execution. What am I saying to you, folks? As Christians, it's our business to be engaged in a battle to let people know who are held captive by the devil in, an even, in a spiritual way, like people are kept captive in North Korea. So, so what does the Bible say? The God of the world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ should shine in unto them. So I'm trying to paint this idea that a Christian soldier is not somebody that's going to put on a uniform. Well, the Jesus Army, for example, Right? You put on a uniform, and the Salvation Army are a different kettle of fish, I understand that, but there were some people that thought it was a, it was a, put on a uniform and, and march and, and do all that stuff. We are called upon to be spiritually involved in the lives of all those roundabouts, because a lot of the people don't understand that there's liberty. They don't understand that there's salvation, and we're right on the very forefront of bringing liberation to people. you remember, I don't know if you remember much of your history. Um, let, me, let me show you this one. Anybody recognise anybody in that picture? Dead on. Good boy. Top of the class for history. Abraham Lincoln. What happened on the 1st of January 1863? Hmm? 1st of uh, January 1863, Abraham Lincoln uh, published the Declaration of Emancipation in, in the United States. So for the 10 states of the South where slavery was the big thing. He declared as president that on the 1st of January, slavery was abolished. Every slave was set free. Liberty was declared for every slave. The sadness was, many of the slaves didn't get to know about it and lived the rest of their lives in slavery, even though they were entitled to be free. And often, the slave owners did their best to hide that truth from their slaves, so that they could keep them captive. And so there was a great civil war, there was a great war of, of to, to try and, slavery was part of the, the, the issue, to, to let the slaves go, to let them know that they were free, to let them know that the king had declared liberty, and the, the battle was to bring the message of freedom and liberty to the people that were held captive, and they were actually free, if only they would realise it. And in a lot of senses, our Christian soldiers' duties is to do exactly the same thing. To declare liberty, remember the Lord said it, to declare liberty to the, to the captives. And that message of emancipation, of freedom, of salvation is available to all, if only they will believe. Believe. But we as Christians not only have a battle with that evangelism, in the sense taking the message of the gospel, we often have a battle within ourselves to conquer things that are in, in ourselves, don't we? So again, the Declaration of Independence. The story is told of an old um, slave that worked in the cotton fields for an owner, and he came to know he was he was free, and he, he realised he was free. And one day he was walking by the, the old place where he used to to pick cotton, and his old master said, "What are you doing? Get back and get back to your back to your work." And his instinct was, having known all his life, to obey the voice of his master, and so he, he started to go back to the field, and then he realised. I don't need to do that. I'm I'm free. I'm free. And the Lord and the Bible says in Romans six that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. And yet, it s- still costs us, is not that right? Sin in our flesh calls to us, and often we, we feel as though we we respond to it. And the Bible saying as a Christian soldier, we're actually free. We're actually free. We don't have to do that. So I'm going to read to you now um, this passage from. Ephesians chapter 6, which is really the big passage when it comes to understanding the equipment that God has given us to be involved in our spiritual warfare. Um, Paul has a very clear pattern about how he teaches. We all need to know how to live as Christians. We all need to know how the rubber hits the road, don't we? what does my Christianity mean to me on Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning and Thursday evening and all that sort of thing? But, but Paul, before he ever gets to these practical things, he, he teaches some important truths first so that the practical things mean something, right? You know what you're doing, but you know why you're doing it. And Ephesians follows that pattern. Uh, at the beginning of the, 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 the epistle is all about what God has done for us in Christ, right? What he's made us. What he's done for us he's taken us and he's chosen us and he loves us and he's redeemed us and, and there's, there's a great riches and wealth given to us and, and then Paul says you know, because you're a Christian because of that wealth that you've got in Christ your walk in life should be different he says walk worthy of the calling with which you're called in other words he's saying because God has done this it should mean this you should be different your life should be different because God has done something for you. And then right at the end, he talks about this spiritual warfare that we're in. Because when we live as a Christian in a world that's non-Christian, it just, well, it swims against the tide, doesn't it? You swim against the tide. It just brings you into conflict. And I don't mean deliberate antagonism. It just You just feel as though you're going in an opposite direction to the world that you're in. And conversations maybe that once never bothered you suddenly grate on you. And activities that you used to delight in, suddenly you find you don't delight in them anymore. And things that you never thought you would enjoy, suddenly you find yourself enjoying. And people who you thought you were friends would then speak against you for doing the things that you think are right. And and Paul says, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in a battle every single day. Could I put it in the simplest possible terms I can, folks. It's not easy to live as a Christian. It's not easy. know, it's easy to say you're a Christian and then live the way everybody else lives. That's the kind of modern day thing that, that I just do my own thing. I'm a Christian, but I just do my own thing. And Paul says, no, no, you don't do your own thing. God has very clearly outlined in his word what he wants from you. And if you do that, you'll find that actually it's quite a difficult thing to live. As a Christian, it cuts against the grain in society. It cuts against the grain morally in society. It cuts against the grain lots of ways in society. And even in your own self, you find conflicts as a Christian. So here's what Paul says. The warfare of the Christian. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that word, strong. Be strong. Again, you know, I don't know anything about English, but I do get help from people. It's what they call an imperative. It's a. It, it's not a, a. It's not a choice, and it's not a, a. You take it or leave it, and it's not an optional extra in the Christian life. Paul's saying this is an imperative. This is an absolute essential. This is necessary. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his light. In other words, a Christian's got to be somebody that takes courage. You have to have courage to be a Christian. You have to wake up in the morning and realise that the day's going to be difficult sometimes and you're going to have to take courage. You're You're going to have to face difficulties and take courage. So be strong in the Lord. Be a courageous Christian. And in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God and that's again an imperative and it means to deliberately intentionally with purpose do something it doesn't just happen you know when you get up in the morning right okay what do you have to do every morning you have to dress every morning don't you you don't just get up in the morning and your clothes just go and fall on you you have to go up and you have to choose your socks. And you have to decide what is matching as down. And you have to go and deliberately and intentionally, before you step into the world, you have to put on your clothes. That's the word here. It's to deliberately, intentionally put on the armour of God. Don't just assume that this happens. Just have an exercise in the morning to, to be equipped and ready to be involved in the work of God that day. That's what you see. That's another imperative. Put on the whole armour of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. You have to stand. You have to stand. The wiles means the schemes of the enemy. We're going to discover a little bit about our enemy in this passage and we're going to discover that he operates in different ways Types of ways he can offer. He can um, he can operate subtly, or he can operate um, aggressively. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you remember um, the Americans going into Baghdad. What year was that? I don't remember what that year was. That, but it was it was one of the first years that um, news people were in. You know, they were entrenched with the, 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 the troops, and I remember a tank going into Baghdad with a, I think it was a CNN reporter sitting on the back of the tank. And the tank went up the main street and all these different people were sniping from the, from the flats that were around about. And this tank just went up the main street and it just blew. Boom, 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 boom. And it just let, let go, let fly everywhere it was going. And the Bible says that the, the devil... Goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes he comes into our life like the tank comes into our life, with all guns blazing, doesn't he? And you know it's an attack, and you sense it's an attack, and it's a a very deliberate attack of the enemy to try and discourage you, or try and upset you, or try and get you off the track, and he comes in with all guns blazing. Well, this word is not that word. This word, wiles, means he's got schemes and plans and subtleties. And sometimes he comes in like a, like a, a fifth columnist. You, you know what fifth columnists were in the, uh, in the war? They were, they were people that sneaked in and took on the guise of, of you, but they were actually your enemy. And what they were doing was they had plans to sabotage, and they had plans to undermine, and they had plans to... And it was, it was not done with a badge, and it was not done with a uniform. It was all undercover stuff. It was all fifth columnist stuff. It was all undercover. And that's sometimes the way the enemy comes into us, doesn't it? Sometimes he's just so subtle and charming. And what he's doing is he's just trying to exploit maybe a little weakness that we have in our life. And he doesn't come in with guns blazing. He comes in with a very subtle plan to to get your guard down. And once your guard's down... Then he'll come in. Then he'll come in. I know you won't believe this, but I used to box when I was at school. Uh, I didn't box for very long, I have to say that to you, but I did. They they taught me to box, and I went to this wee boxing club uh, in Clarkson, and I only did, because I was very small, but I thought I had to try and look after myself. Uh, And I went boxing, and the guy that was teaching me, he says, Jim, you'll never never knock somebody out with a punch, one punch. Uh, And So he says, I'll teach you how to do it. So, what he taught me to do was, as a wee fella, to get close, get in, so- get in close, and just soften the fella up with a few small p- You know, just punch, 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 punch. Not a big punch, but just to, over the course of time, with little punches, soften the guy up. And once you soften the guy up, when you got an opportunity, you could knock him down. Never worked, folks, I have to say that to you, right? Okay. But that was his idea. This word wiles is like that. It's the devil wanting to soften us up, right? He comes in and he just has a little go here and a little go there and a little exploit here and a little exploit there and he gets us used to something or he he entices us to do a little sin and then he softens us up with a little sin and then he makes the sin a bit bigger and he he softens us up until before we know where we are he's hitting us with a knockout punch spiritually, doesn't he? And that's the same, folks. I'm not trying to justify this, but just, just listen to what I'm saying here. In a local church, the enemy wants to destroy the testimony of a local church. Because a local church is God's testimony here, isn't it? That, that's what we, we want to shine as a light, don't we? We want to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world as a local church. Not just as individuals, but as a local church. And the devil hates faithful local churches. He hates them. Because they're effective for God on the earth. And so he comes to them in a variety of forms. Sometimes he comes like a roaring lion into a local church, doesn't he? And before you know who you are, the church is exposed and exploded and it, it dissolves because somebody makes so much trouble. But there are other times, the devil comes in very subtly and very slowly and softens a local church up. So that's why, as elders, we would ask you to pray for us, because one of the functions of a local elder is to be on our guard, to to guard the flock of God over which God has placed you as an overseer. So uh, overseers are feeders, they are, but they're also guarders. They're always on the lookout. They're always on the lookout to, to, to head off trouble before it happens or to, to identify influences that could be negative and protect the service, the glory of God and the health of the Lord's people. And that, that's what it says. We, to stand against the wails of the devil... And this is what he says. I'm going to define to you the, the type of enemy we've got. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So it's back to this idea of our kingdom is not of this world, else would my kingdom fight. We're in a spiritual realm here. We'll talk a wee bit about that more. But the word I want to draw your attention to there is wrestle. Wrestle. Uh, Many of you are old enough to remember Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock, World of Sport, um, Kent Walton and the wrestling that was on. you remember that stuff? You do, you do. You remember. You don't, you? Oh, you missed it. 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, you always turned on World of Sport because there was an hour of wrestling. Big Daddy and giant haystacks and all, all that sort of stuff. And it was wrestling. It was wrestling, right? Okay. And you know what I mean by that? It wasn't the WWE stuff now. It was real wrestling. People were in the ring, just with no fancy stuff. They were just hand to hand. It's hand to hand combat, isn't it? It's close contact combat. It's close contact combat. And this world wrestle. This world wrestle is the fact that we as Christians are in, in close combat with the enemy. This is not ballistic missiles sent from thousands of miles away. Every single day. We're in hand-to-hand close combat with the enemy. The enemy is never far away from us, folks. Never far away. And our engagement with the enemy is not at a distance, and we'll see when we look at the armour, how the armour of God, in a first-century sense, is designed to protect at close quarters, right? We wrestle not against flesh, and blood. And the idea of wrestling in the the, 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 the first century was hand to hand combat, and you won when you pinned your opponent down and you put your knee on his shoulders and held him down for a, a certain amount of time. You remember the uh, two pinfalls or a knockout? That was what it was in in, in in those days. You would hold him down for one, two, three. And the Lord's saying, or Paul's saying here, he's saying, listen, folks, don't get it wrong. This is a really personal thing. The devil comes very, very close to you. And this is something that you're going to have to wrestle with. It's hand-to-hand close combat with the enemy. But look who we wrestle against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means that we're not fighting with people. right? We don't, we don't look for our neighbour and grab them and say, you're the devil's enemy, I'm going to, I'm going to fight you in, in the street. That's not what it means. We don't fight with people in that sense, but we wrestle against authorities and against world rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Our combat is with spiritual powers. That's why right at the end of this passage, when we get to the end after we've got the armour, what does he tell us to do once we're armed? What does he do tell us he says praying always doesn't he because our field of battle is a spiritual field of battle often in prayer wherefore okay there's number 13 take unto you another imperative deliberately specifically okay how many times do you dress you dress once in the morning you get up and you dress once in the morning don't you but you do the same again the next morning don't you it's a single act, but it's a continual act as well, isn't it? It's something that you do on Monday morning, but you'll do it on Tuesday morning, and you'll do it on Wednesday morning, and you'll do it on Thursday morning, and you'll make sure that you do it every morning because you don't want to go out in the emperor's new clothes, do you? You don't. And the Lord's saying, listen, this whole idea of you being needing to be equipped and ready spiritually is something that needs to be done every day. Single morning. <laughs> people are different. Some people are morning people and some people are evening people. I get it. I get it. Right, okay. But I think what the Lord is saying is you know, don't go into any day unprepared. <laughs> Don't go into any day unprepared. I'm not saying you have to read your Bible for half an hour and pray around the world before you go into the sea. But, I mean, at least somewhere along the line before we enter into the, the day, we should just be seeking the help and the blessing of the Lord and protection, shouldn't we, really? Even if it's just sitting in the bus or in the car and way to work, we should, it should, we should be starting the day by saying, Lord, I can't do this. <laughs> I need you. I need your protection. I need your armour, and I'm going to take it. You've provided it, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Take unto you the whole armour of God. Whole armour is one word. It's called, the word is panoply. The panoply of God. Take unto you the whole armour of God. In other words, God has provided every single thing we need. Everything we need. Everything we need. Now sometimes... You know, supposing supposing you go out without your scarf in the morning, supposing you went out without your scarf in the morning, you'd be cold, right, okay? And the problem would be, not that you didn't have a scarf, the problem was that you didn't take your scarf. Isn't that right? And so what the Lord's saying here is, listen, the Lord has provided everything that you need, everything you need for life and godliness, take it, take it. Make sure that in the morning you put yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm yours today. Give me what I need today. Please give me what I need. And I'm not just going to receive it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to deliberately take it. Take unto you the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt. And we then get to a stage When we look at the armour of God, we're going to finish there. But what I'm saying to you folks is, this is not something that just happens. We're called into a world that needs the Lord. And most people don't realise they need the Lord. Our battle is with people that are blinded. And our battle is to be gracious and kind and and, and Christ-like. Not to go battling and being aggressive, but to show them, win them by the love of God. To warn them as well. Something that's very important. There's a a side in the gospel. That's a warning side of the gospel. Isn't there? We've got to warn people of the consequences. Of just living the way they are. Even though they don't realise they're living the way they are. So we've got to be ready. And we've got to go out. And we've got to take what God has provided. And as a Christian soldier. We do wrong to go unequipped into the world when we don't need to. It would be a terrible thing to go out in a cold morning without a heavy coat if you had one in the house, wouldn't it? It would be a terrible thing for a Christian to go into a day without at least putting themselves before the Lord and saying, Lord, I know you've provided for me. I'm going to take it and I'm going to go into the battle for you. So may the Lord help us and we'll maybe take another look one night at the individual items of the armor of God. Let's pray. Lord. All these things are so. Straight and plain for us in the world, but so difficult just to make real every day in our life. So by Thy Spirit help us, Lord, to understand and to daily take advantage of all that has got done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of every piece of armour provided by You, so we're grateful even tonight to be together. This great protection of Christian fellowship and prayer is such a blessing to us. We appreciate it. Taking time, Lord. To pray for Christians in North Korea. There will be Christians in prison tonight because they are Christians. That's the only reason. Someone will have spoken the name of Jesus and been arrested. Someone will have been carrying a Bible and been arrested. And they'll be languishing somewhere in a cold prison tonight. We pray for them that your peace and strength might be given at this time. So thank you, Lord. For our time together and thank you for the food and the refreshment we've got now. And we give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen.